Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Book Lounge. Today, we are talking about Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Your hosts, as always, are myself, Corinne Ritchie. And me, Tom Butler-Bowden. And the general aim with Book Insights and Book Lounge is to cover the uh, books that can advance your work or your life in some way, or just expand your mind. And as Book Insights curator, I'll give my take on each book, why I selected it, uh, what my highlights are, and why I think it's still relevant. And I'll also update you on the latest news about the title and the author and chime in about the book, of course. Um, now, for the most in-depth knowledge about this book, we recommend two things. One, the podcast is brought to you by Memoed, so be sure to check out the savable, shareable 10-point memo about this book. You'll find the link to it in the show notes. Um, we also recommend that you listen to the Book Insights episode on this book. So that's going to be a more detailed summary, overview, and analysis. But here in the Book Lounge, it's more of just an informal chat about this book of the week. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so uh, Big Magic, what is the big idea of this book? Um, well, you probably know Elizabeth Gilbert more likely from her book Eat, Pray, Love and the subsequent uh, movie with Julia Roberts. Um, but in Big Magic, it's more of like a inspirational, motivational guide for creativity. Um, it's a lot about writing, but can be any kind of um, creative venture. Um, so she shares her personal philosophy and advice and anecdotes um, about becoming more creative by casting aside fear, uh, perfectionism, and anything else that stops you from achieving your creative potential. That's right. And to discuss this book with us, we are bringing on a guest who is a speaker. She's also the author of I'm Scared and Doing It Anyway, and a book called Simply Leap. She's a coach, a communications consultant. Welcome and thank you for joining us, Lori Ostrovsky. Oh, thanks so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, thank you, Lori. So um, maybe if we just start with a bit of um, background from you and your personal journey and then um, you know how you how you came across big magic and uh, what sort of um, place it has now in your thinking great um, well so my background is actually in in the corporate world and marketing and communications and working with startups um, and uh, but when I was in when I was 28 um, very successfully working and living in New York City, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor and um, and had the moment that many of us have at different points in our lives where the path I thought I was on took a sudden detour. And, and from that moment, you know, as I, I healed and moved through that, um, you know, experience, um, I had this new lease on life. And one of the things that I did was actually go back to art, to go to art school because I had always minored in art um, in high school and college and taken classes, but never thought I was a real artist. Um, and then suddenly something gigantic happens in your life. And then you realize the things that you're intimidated by don't really mean that much. Um, so I, you know, I, uh, studied to become a coach in a year-long program. I switched careers. I moved. I changed relationships. I went to art school. 
um, and started traveling. And, and in that process, um, really discovered that was actually, I just gave you the synopsis of my first book. I'm scared and doing it anyway, but really I developed another relationship with fear and reestablished my relationship with creativity. Um, and so I think that tells you a little bit about me and the coaching work that I do. I now work with folks who are um, looking for more meaningful careers um, or to start and grow their own business. Um, but that meaningfulness is really comes from my own experience. Um, and, and so this, this book really is, you know, kind of is aligned a lot with some of the things that I work with clients on and that conversations in my own head. Uh, so, so that's really how that book made it to my, uh, made it to my bookshelf as well. Absolutely. That's exactly what the book is all about. Moving past that fear, embracing creativity. Um, that's, that's perfect. I think you're the perfect person to chat with us about this. Um, yes. Well, uh, maybe we should dive into the, to the book itself. Um, so, yeah, we've talked about, uh, well, one of the themes is, is fear in the book, but also what the relationship is between creativity and, and fear. Um, so maybe we'll start with that, Laurie. Um, uh, how do you see this, this link between, um, she, she also talks in the book about curiosity. Um, so how, how do you see these things, fear, creativity, curiosity, the links between them? Um, well, curiosity is one of the easiest ways out of fear. We can't really be afraid and curious at the same time. So that helps us kind of move, move out of it. Um, you know, one of the things that she talks about around fear that, that I held onto um, from this book was this story she gave about um, keeping fear in the backseat and don't let fear drive. Um, so, um, so the, the concept of, of my book, I'm scared in doing it anyway, is the doing it anyway part. Um, there's so much, um, out there in the world, whether it's, um, you know, media or social media or whatever that talks about being fearless. And I really think that that isn't fair. And I think that that's, that's what Elizabeth Gilbert is also saying in this book. Let's just admit that fear is part of the equation all the time in whatever we're doing. And it could be intimidate, feeling intimidated or overwhelmed or unsure, or, you know, it can, it can hide in a lot of ways, but it's, it's still fear. Um, and, and it's, so she's talking about, I think one of the things that are, that's interesting about what she's talking about is that your relationship with fear is more important about than whether you feel fear or not. Um, it's that relationship. And so she gives this, um, this great example of, of being in a car and you wouldn't let the, you know, the, the person who's like worried and frantic and anxious, put that person behind the wheel and let them figure out which way we should go. You would you know, politely put them in the passenger seat or in the back seat and say like, okay, I got it. I'll figure it out for, for both of us, for all of us in the car. And, um, it's okay. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, get through this. And, 
it's not like you would put them out of the car. They would clearly still be in the car with you, but what position in the car are you going to put them in? Um, and I think that that's such a great reminder that um, there's actually nothing wrong with us when we fear, feel fear, um, that it's a completely normal reaction um, and probably, you know, whatever stuff from the past or stuff from our previous experience um, and also a natural human biological you know, experience that we're happening, um, that, that we're having, it's what, it's what we do about it. And it, and fear tends to creep up a lot in creativity because it's the questioning of who's going to like this. What are people going to say? Is it going to work? And that honestly relates to our careers really well, where, um, if I speak up in this meeting, what's going to happen? If I, um, if I take this new track that I, you know, if I, if I take this new job that I don't know if I can actually do completely, um, if I, if I take this new, um, a book idea or story idea or business idea and turn it into something. When I, when I talked with entrepreneurs, it's about, you have to believe in your idea before anybody else. And you have to keep believing in your idea, even when other people don't believe in it. Um, and that's, and that's how we keep going. And I, I feel like that's also in this book. It's like, how do you keep going amidst what other people think and what you think other people think? Absolutely. And I'd love to hear, like, what were those fears that you had as you, you know, had this new lease and decided to go to art school and embrace that creative that creativity and that artistic side that you'd kind of put put to one side for a while. What were those fears that you had, and how did you get past them? Oh, um, well, I, thanks for the question. I um, I I don't know if I did a very good job, but uh, what I what I did think was um, when I stepped forward, like. Sorry, let me just say it's the doing it anyway part. It is the, um, I slowed myself down from trying to be the best student or trying to figure out how I was going to get an A or whatever an A is in art school. I mean, A, you know, it's not even graded in the same way, right? Like how, how you're doing well isn't, isn't easy to figure out sometimes um, if you're looking externally. And yeah. so what, what I really did was slow myself down and say, okay, if the, if the scared parts of myself are actually like the, the, like the younger parts of myself, okay, what do I need? Well, I probably need a snack. <laughs> I probably need um, quiet time before and after. I probably need um, to focus, like to maintain my focus on a certain area. Um, she talks about in the book, I'll just bring back to that. She talks about in the book, um, when you're having like a creative challenge um, to, to still stay creative, but move into a new creative area. It's that kind of thing. Even when I was in, in art school, um, if we were working on really big pieces of paper, I mean, we'd be on these six foot pieces of paper and canvases. And instead of taking the whole canvas, I would focus on one corner. I would, I would think about how I was going to ultimately, you know, paint or draw something of this scale and then focus on a corner for a while if that made me more comfortable, you know, zone in on something. Um, and I think that that's, that's true for most things. If we, if we feel like it's too big, find, find something small or find another creative outlet to, to um, take our mind off of it for a while. 
That's fascinating. And so uh, in the book also, Gilbert um, talks about creativity itself, like where does it come from? Um, where do ideas come from? And her basic point of view is that it transcends logic and reason, that it can, that ideas themselves have some sort of life force and willpower. Um, so, which is a very sort of um, not old fashioned, that actually goes back to like ancient Roman Greece, this idea that ideas have this energetic life form of their own. Whereas the modern idea is, you know, you do brainstorming and stuff, techniques, tactics to come up with ideas. Um, so I thought this was interesting and definitely um, a, a sort of creative idea in itself. Um, so Laurie, what did you think of um, this idea? I think the, the Romans called it the daemon or, or the genius that is sort of, that you allow to come out um rather than being a genius yourself yeah i mean there's something um kind of uh, I, despite the it being part of the the romans it, it sounds a little new agey and airy fairy you know so i'll, right. I'll say that especially because we're in we're talking about nonfiction books and in you know in business books and things like that so you know, it has a, an airy fairy quality to it. I kind of like it for that reason. I kind of like the idea that ideas are kind of floating around. And the example that she gives in the book is that um, that another writer ended up writing this story and she's reading it, realizing, oh my God, that was my idea. And and it was funny because as she was reading it, I knew, like I, I remembered who it, who it was and the, and the two authors, so it's Anne Patchett. Uh, one of her books was an idea that, um, Elizabeth Gilbert had had and the two of them I heard an interview between the two of them and they spoke about this in particular this idea and how it, you know and they'd never had a conversation about it and you know took it and ran with it and Elizabeth was like oh I guess that you know uh, I didn't I didn't move fast enough um, and so I, I mean I, I kind of love that and I think um, I'd also say you know we as you know uh, living beings are made of energy I mean, that's just, you know, our skin is not a, a surface. It's not a, you know, um, it's, a, it's a penetrable surface, surface. We are, you know, electrons and, um, and, and made of energy. Why can't energy be sent around? Why can't um, we give and receive, like thoughts be floating around? I kind of like that idea. Um, and I also like that, um, that, that how it relates to um, when I, I I don't know if you you both feel this way, but sometimes when a blog post or a, a social media post, when some idea uh, strikes me, I I feel like I better sit down right now, otherwise I may not remember exactly the thing that I wanted to say, or that I want to take advantage of that extra energy that I feel, that passion that I feel about this thought at the time. Um, whether or not I hit publish at that moment, sitting down or 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 capturing it in that moment feels really important. And so I think most of us have felt that. I think how she's described it sounds um, sounds like it's it, it's magical and that it happens to other people and that can't possibly, you know, it's, it's something made up. But I think most of us have that, um, have had something of that uh, experience in our lives where it's like, oh, it's, it's kind of a now or never feeling. Um, 
And so, uh, you know, I like I like that she named it and it kind of it kind of sounds fun to me. Agreed. Yeah, it does have that kind of woo woo, like new agey sort of feel of like great ideas are just floating around in the atmosphere and yes. you have to be like open and receptive and then they'll land on you. Otherwise, they're going to pass you by. And like, you know, it does sound a little but when you think about like memes, for example, like the whole concept of the mimetic um, sort of thing that happens where it's like a, a, a piece of art or a piece of or a joke or something it takes on a life of its own and spreads rapidly I mean I, it's kind of very similar like it, its own life form finds a host and 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 moves with um it, it moves in a way that we can't really describe like there's no good reason for the cat memes to get as big as they very similar to what Elizabeth Gilbert is talking about uh with these creative ideas um I I don't know that I've seen it myself in terms of like an idea that passed me by and then I see it come to fruition in someone else uh, but it was very cool to to read about um, and and I do like also how she sort of um, doesn't ask creativity to follow the rules of science and reason which is very different from the books that we talk about on this book I mean on this podcast you know we we are all about the science and reason uh, books a lot of the time but this one she's very much like oh don't even try to squeeze creativity into that box this is its own thing mm. yeah and um uh so maybe we should get on to the another sort of a bit more nuts and bolts um aspect of the book then um which is that um she talks about the sort of process of creativity and work um and she says that perseverance is a lot more important than perfectionism um, so even though she's talked about getting this inspiration in the first place, the actual execution of a um, creative work um, really involves, you know, a process. And I like this question that um, she asks, um, talking about passion, but then she says, what are you passionate enough about that you can endure the most disagreeable aspects of the work? Uh, so, you know, seeing yourself through um, this sort of early burst of inspiration. Um, did that sort of stand out to you at all, Laurie, or did you, um, do you, were you sort of a bit bored by this section of the book? <laughs> no, not at all. And I think, I think it's such a great point. I think that, um, uh, I, actually, I think it's a perfect marriage with what we were just talking about we can have, um, you know, moments of passion and inspiration and, um, and it's what we do with them that decides whether we succeed, whether we finish, whether it gets out in the world at all, um, whether people ever even learn about it. Um, and it's, it's that process, it's our dedication and the, even the structure that we build around how we're going to do something um, that really changes whether we succeed or not. And gosh, doesn't that go with every other business book that you guys have probably talked about? You know, it's our, it's our diligence that really makes, makes for, uh, for that. And she was actually talking about her upbringing and, and how her mom was like, you know, you just do the work. That's it. We don't ask questions. We just do the work. And she applies that to such a creative pursuit that I think our view of what creativity looks like is that people just, you know, when they feel inspired, they sit at the canvas or they sit at the computer and, and, you know, I would say most successful artists, I mean, if we think about even Picasso or something, 
to be that prolific, Van Gogh to be that prolific in the period of time with which they were working, they had to sit down at the, or they had to be in front of the canvas every day. They had to have that diligence and dedication. And so, so it makes sense to me. I, you know, I was thrilled to, to say that, to see that in, in the book and be reminded, even if inspiration hasn't struck, open up the laptop just as much, um, you know, create that, you know, set up that meeting, uh, you know, go for that interview, um, do, do something towards, towards the process. And, um, and I wanted to bring up, so I mentioned Ann Patchett, she wrote a, um, an essay similar to this, this book, and it's called, um, The Getaway Car on Writing and Life. And, it's, it's fantastic. It's this only short, shorter, and really about how do you create that diligence in your, your writing that you, it can't be something this that's delicate. It needs to be something that you've, you've given over your time and energy to without thinking about what will happen on the other end. Um, and I, and I appreciate that because it's still, a job and a career and a livelihood, if, if that's what we make it into, um, it's still something that needs our time and attention. Um, creativity, I think, uh, and uh, I'm sorry, I think uh, Elizabeth Gilbert even talks about this. Um, creativity isn't going to continue to strike unless, you, you know, you've worked that muscle. Like, you know, we've, we've got to go back and work that just like we're working out in a gym. We've got to go back and work that creative muscle for it to be able to arrive when we need it to, or for, you know, for things to fall into place um, as we're creating. You've got to fan that flame. You can't just wait around for it. Um, I mean, it makes total sense because if you did any other job only when you felt like it, imagine how, you know, your success would be if you're waiting to feel that inspiration or, or motivation or whatever. Um, but yeah, you can't find success in, in anything by, by waiting around. You do have to, like you said, get in front of the canvas, get in front of the computer, you know, um, build in. And that's something we've talked about a lot on this podcast is building in those habits, those routines, those, uh, you know, moving the needle every day a little bit. And that applies to so many different facets of life, including creativity. Mm. Yeah, and um, uh, another sort of related aspect of what she says is she, I think she calls it like trust in your work. But for me, what I got from that part of the book is just be willing to put your stuff out there. Um, I mean, a lot of people in creative fields, um, certainly I've known, they've been so afraid to, to actually publish their work or get their songs out there because of fear of what people might say. Um, and you do have to be very willing to be um, sort of ridiculed or reviled or, or whatever. Um, that's all, that's all part of the journey. And, and also the sort of, she's, she's very like anti-perfectionism. I think that's a part of it too. Um, so what, what did you think of this aspect of the book, Laurie? Yeah, um, I remember, so I, um, when I first started, so I'm an introvert and very shy, and I also am a speaker and to those two combined <laughs> means that I get very nervous before I'm, um, especially when I'm asked to speak in public. And I remember I was on a panel once and someone had said, um, you know you're doing it right when you have your first hater. 
you know, when you have someone, you know, writing about you on Twitter or whatever, you know, uh, commenting like, oh, I disagree or, or whatever, you know, or worse, um, that, that if you've said something enough where people take a stand around it and people have a response and either say, yes, absolutely, or no, that's not for me, that means that you've said, you've, you've actually moved the needle somewhere. You've, you've um, actually achieved something because if you try to, and this is true for, for building a business or, or, or whatever, if, you've, um, if you try to make a product or service fit for everybody, um, you're not gonna sell any because nobody's gonna know who it's for, but it's for a specific person who need, has a specific need. You're more likely to sell more of them because then we all know someone just like them that we wanna buy it for. Um, or the, you know, the people that it's meant for, it, you know, they'll know. Um, so it's, it, to me, it's, it, that, that is true. Um, and even when we look at our, you know, our, our marketing or what we're putting out there in our resumes or uh, our LinkedIn profiles, you know, all of that, there are people, there are job opportunities. They're going to say yes. There are folks that we're never going to hear back from. And, um, and that doesn't mean that we're doing something wrong. It could actually mean that we're, um, we're finding the right market. We're finding the right people for our, for our message. Now, what we tell ourselves um, goes back to the car uh, metaphor where, you know, if, if the person driving the car <laughs> is the one that's going, oh my God, people hate us, <laughs> then that's not going to go very well. Um, you know, the, you know, so, so it, it really is a matter of how are you going to handle when people are unhappy or, um, you know, as, as Elizabeth Gilbert was talking about, actually, you know, she wrote Eat, Play, Pray, Love before this book and before a couple other books that didn't do as well. Actually, Big Magic did pretty well for her, but her, her, next fiction books didn't do as well and so she's often asked how could you can how could you write again and she said it's not about what is out there it's about how it feels to me to be writing and creating um and i gotta say that's it's that's not actually the easiest thing to get to that it's that it's not about what other people think but it is a sign that you're doing the right thing if people have a response to it, whether good or bad, it means that you're onto something. Absolutely. That ties right into one of the quotes that I love from this book, which says, you can measure your worth by your dedication to your path, not by your successes or failures. Um, I, I find that so motivational to think, um, you know, similar to what Tom had said, like, what, will, what do you find so much passion for and feel so dedicated to that it doesn't really matter if you succeed or fail, but just the process has something to offer you and enough to offer you that it's worth doing regardless of the outcome. Like, I feel like whatever your creative venture is or your work venture is, um, when you find that thing that is so you know, powerful and draws you in that it doesn't matter if you succeed or fail, that's something worth sitting in front of the canvas every day for. Hmm. Yeah. Um... So this is great tips we're hearing now for anyone who's in the creative field. Um, I feel like this book, um, more than many others we've covered, that the author is almost worth talking as much about <laughs> because she's been quite controversial um, in many ways and her life, her life is mixed up with her books. Um, 
I mean, she's had a lot of criticism that, that her, you know, spending a year traveling was sort of self-indulgent or she was quite privileged, um, all of that sort of thing. Um, and yet, obviously, millions of people have benefited greatly, you know, from her work. Um, so I don't know, Laurie, what's your take on Elizabeth Gilbert herself and the relationship with her work, etc.? Oh, um, yeah, I, this is a tough one to be judged the person over the over the work. I mean, gosh, we could do that in so many other areas as well. Um, I would say that um, what I find in watching her interviews and what I would um, I'll also recommend for um, around this book, she did a series of podcast interviews called um, Magic Lessons where she's interviewing folks. And that was really nice um, as a nice compliment to this book because it was about their creative processes, the, the people that she interviewed. Um, and, um, and she had a couple of comedians on. And I don't know about you guys, but I find comedians process fascinating as a business person because talk about dealing with haters. You're going on stage for people to ridicule you and who might call back from the audience. Um, and you've got to be okay with that every night. Um, so anyway, uh, and uh, so I'll say about um, about Elizabeth Gilbert, um, what I found in her interviews is that she seems to be very aware of what people say and to be aware and still be able to move forward on your own is, is still something to be impressed by that you have the ability. So I, I, you know, I would liken it to like a, a golfer or a tennis player or something that regardless of the crowd around your baseball player, regardless of what the crowd is doing, what sounds they're making, you're still able to focus, to zero in on this ball and, and do what you need to do in that moment and, and be able to perform in that moment. And I think that even though her performance is happening in a room somewhere where we can't see her, it's really out there in the world. You know, all of her stuff, whatever she puts out, people are going to pay attention to. Whatever she says, people are going to pay attention to. And to continue to be out there is, it, it's impressive to me. It's, um, yeah, it just reminds me of Lady Gaga's, you know, similar things have kind of been said that, you know, about her, you know, doing a kind of ostentatious things. And, and yet when she creates, she, um, she's talked about her process where she kind of goes somewhere in, in a cabin or something and doesn't take any phone, anything. She needs to not hear anything about what's happening now to her world and even other music for her to be able to create what she's doing. And I appreciate that regardless of how I think about her choice, you know, Elizabeth Gil Gilbert's choices, her ability to do that is something that, um, that I think we all need lessons in, in a world that continues to get louder um, with more opinions and more ways to reach us, how to be unreachable um, or only reachable the way we want to be um, or or can, you know, health-wise, mental health-wise, you know, reasonably handle, I think is a, is a really interesting model. You know, it's a, it's a model that we need to keep seeing um, in, in folks out there. That's great um, analysis, really. Yeah, I mean, the, I guess that's what I'm saying. Her, she sort of walks her, talk um her life is so wrapped up in her writing and vice versa the whole process and everything um yeah i find it is very um 
admirable, you know, everything she's done. But I just wanted to mention that sort of controversy yeah. that sort of associated with her a bit. Well, and I guess I would I would point to you, Tom, given the the books that you've you've written and things. Doesn't it sound like a stoic um, kind of model? And that you know, you uh, was it Marcus Aurelius or something? You know, would say like it doesn't matter what's happening out there; it only matters kind of what's happening here in here and what you're doing every day. Um, and uh, so I, I feel like there's some some stoicism to to the work that that she does, and and actually several famous people. I think the only reason that they made it to that place is because they figured out the internal um, way that they were going to handle what was happening out there and somehow be able to turn it off. Yeah, no, absolutely, and also that it's before she became famous. Obviously, it's all the work you do on yourself before anyone really knows about you. Um, so I just wanted to, yeah, as you mentioned uh, stoicism, um, I just wanted to add in a quote that she, that she provides, which is Marcus Aurelius, when he was writing the meditations, he's, he said this advice to himself, get a move on if you have it in you and don't worry whether anyone will give you credit for it and don't go expecting Plato's Republic. And um, of course, then his, the meditations weren't even published in his lifetime. And now, you know, it's got millions of readers. So I just thought that was interesting. That sort of encapsulates uh, Gilbert's whole attitude to, to work and, and creativity. Yeah, and she even says there's, a, there's another quote about, um, it, you know, don't expect the, um, your creative work to, to be your work. It's not dishonorable to go get a job. Um, uh, mm. and, and I like that as well, because, because even with the, the clients that I work with who are, who are growing a business or starting a business, um, if you go in with a business idea and, and hope and put pressure on it, that it's going to be your source of income in year one, or even year two of your business, it's highly unlikely that's going to happen. And you're going to, going to um, lose some of your creativity because um, and your ability to pivot and to learn new things and apply what you've learned to something else. Um, we need to um, to create in spaces that are safe and open. And often that means having our income come from something else um, with, you know, so so that pressure isn't put on, um, you know, ideas as they're still developing. Mm. Yeah, and I think she was quite, um, she was very careful about that sort of slow transition to, to writing full time, and in some ways quite sort of late developer, like she was well into mid, late 30s or whatever before she started sort of making real headway. So um, yeah, I agree. I thought, I thought that was um, another interesting aspect to her. Totally. Um, anyway, well, sure. yeah, go like, on. Don't don't corner your creativity and make it pay for your existence. Like I just love that. <clears throat> yeah, puts all sort of pressures on it. Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, guys, we all always um, give a a grade or mark out of five for the books that we discuss, and and a reason why. Um, Corinne, what was your overall take? um on this one 
so this is one of my favorite books. I love this book. I quote this book. I recommend this book to people. Um, I'll give it four out of five bookmarks only because I take one bookmark away because um, if you don't view yourself as a creative person, uh, if you don't have a creative outlet or you know, if you just have decided creativity is not my thing, I can't recommend this book to you. Like, uh, so my five out of five books are the ones I can just give anyone and know that it's gonna be useful and applicable and relevant. Uh, so I'll say four out of five only uh, be because of that. Uh, you know, people like my husband are, you know, I consider myself logical, analytical, scientific. And so creative is just baffles me, you know, that type, they're not going to uh, enjoy this book. I, on the other hand, absolutely love it. So, um, so yeah, four out of five. And while we're talking about creative ventures, I'm thinking uh, we should uh, mention what our creative uh, outlets are. So I, I think Tom knows I do theater. That's sort of my, my, my thing. I've done that for a long time. Um, so when I'm reading this book, that's what I'm applying it to. But it's 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 very universal. It's sort of any uh, creative outlet or artwork. But um, yeah, Lori and Tom, what are what are those when you're reading this through this? What is that creative outlet you're envisioning? Uh, well, for me, um, uh, you know, I have a couple books, and um, and so that was really that was speaking to. Uh, her book, you know, spoke to me in that way. But but the truth is, as a you know, I I went to art schools, and I um, don't normally call myself an artist, but I recognize that I need to. Um, so so when I was in art school, it was painting, um, and uh, that became kind of too intimidating to me. Even after I left art school, I like had to, I, I felt like I put too much perfectionism into it that art school kind of did that to me. But um, so instead I've moved on to um, baking desserts oh. and uh, because it's fun, it yeah. is a great gift. It mm -hmm. feels like a creative process and it exactly what Elizabeth, Elizabeth Gilbert describes as um, losing all time. I lose all time when I'm stirring chocolate chips into yeah. a batter. So <laughs> how about you? Yeah. Um, yes, well, I, um, I mean, I, I read this uh, as a writer, I read this book as a sort of partly masterclass in writing. Um, and one thing that struck me is that she says, everyone imitates before they can innovate. And she says, like, her early writing was all, like, in the style of Hemingway and Annie Prue and Cormac McCarthy. And it took her a long time to get, like, an individual voice. So um, for me, anything creative I do, um, it's, you know, you, you always find yourself just copying the people who are great first. Um, and that's fine for most of the things, you know, that you do. Um, but you have to be willing to stick at it quite a long time before something genuinely um, creative comes out of it. So I enjoyed this book. Uh, I'll give it four out of five. Just is, is a great read. Um, read it alongside Eat, Pray, Love as well. Um, and um, it's, she, she just writes very well. And also it's just tons of great tips on, on anything creative. Absolutely. What do you think, Laurie? You want to give it up out of five? Oh, yeah, I would agree with the four. I thought, yeah. um, Karen, your, your estimation that it wouldn't be for everybody um, is, is probably true, but it would be for a lot of people. Um, yeah. And it, and I think especially from, from what Tom said, because um, 
she does go into story, but really it's, it's very concrete, the suggestions that she's giving. Um, and I appreciate that. I don't, you know, I don't want to go everywhere. I want to know what I'm supposed to do, you know, the next day. And I think, I think she did a really good job of, of both of those drawing you in and then also giving you something concrete that, to work with. Mm -hmm. So Corinne, um, what, what has um, Elizabeth Kill been up to um, more recently? Do we know? So uh, Elizabeth Gilbert published Big Magic in 2015. Um, and since then, she's continued writing. Um, her latest novel is one called City of Girls. That's like about the New York City theater scene during the 1940s. Um, today, uh, she's a regular writer on the Oprah Daily blog. So you can see some of her more recent work there. Um, she's also got interviews all over, as Laurie mentioned, lots of podcasts and stuff. Uh, she's been in Vogue, The Washington Post, pretty much all the major platforms. She's got a couple of TED Talks that are really good, one on creative genius. That one has over 4 million views. Um, and she has another one that she did during the pandemic, which is also really good, a couple million views on that one, where she's talking about, you know, sort of COVID life and creative life and, you know, the overlap between those. Um, so now today she regularly goes on speaking tours all over the world and shares about how to really uh, live that creative life and move past fear. Mm. Fascinating. Well, it'd be great to see what she comes out with in the future as well. Um, yes, yeah, so anyway, we have, um, I think we've got a sort of 10-point memo on the basic points of the book as well as information in the show notes. So if you've never read the book, um, we will provide that for you as a sort of easy way in. And then I think um, Corinne will also do a, a sort of 10 point memo on um, what we've discussed today with Laurie. That's right. And Laurie, thank you so much for joining us. If folks want to connect with you and your work, or maybe they're one of those uh, business folks who want help with communications. Um, what's the best way to connect with you? Sure. Um, so my business is called Simply Leap, like leaping. Um, so you can find me at simplyleap.com. Uh, my books are there and, um, and also on Amazon Audible. Um, and, uh, and I'm on most social media, either as Simply Leap or as my, my name, Laurie Ostrowski. Um, I'd love to connect and um, I love to talk about leaping and uh, being scared and doing it anyway, very much about moving through that fear to go after what we're looking for in our careers. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to link to your um, socials and to your website in the show notes so folks can easily connect with you. And thank you again. Really appreciate your time. Oh, this is so fun. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Dari. Really very fascinating. For sure. So thank you all for watching or for listening and um, hope you'll tune in next week for a new uh, book. You can always check out the Book Insights episode as well as the Book Lounge episode uh, as we talk about these life-changing nonfiction books. All right. Thanks so much. <laughs>